This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. People want to make friends, I'm trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This did look like, at one point, that it would be a real bone crusher of a session. Especially when the president made some very tough comments about trade with China and stocks were getting clobbered. But then we were saved by the Fed. Yet today the Fed put its rate hikes on hold, perhaps for the rest of the year, as they recognize that the economy's cooled off and there's no real inflation. So why bother to tighten? A one-sided mauling by the bears turned into an indecisive tug-of-war before the market got hit with another pullback at the end of the day. Dow ultimately closing down 142 points, but the S&P losing 0.29%, and the Nasdaq actually inching up nearly 0.07%. See, when Fed Chief Jay Powell says that, and I quote, it's a great time to be patient because the economy is deteriorated, well, that's a very, very big deal for you. The change in policy means the bulls won't have to fight the Fed. Maybe all year. And that's fantastic for the stock market, even if the company's uh, earnings, for the most part, may not be as spectacular because the economy's slow. An economy that's good but not great, coupled with a Fed that's done tightening, is a reliable recipe for a bull market. Uh, But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Come on, let's not get ahead of ourselves, because for months I've been telling you the market needs not one but two things. We need a more dovish, dovish Federal Reserve, which we absolutely now have, and a trade deal with China, which we absolutely do not have. In fact, China's the reason stocks were getting clubbed before the Fed statement this afternoon. And it's why we went back down after a brief Fed-induced bounce. Earlier today, President Trump made some comments about the need to maintain his tariffs on Chinese imports, even after we make some kind of deal, in order to make sure that the PRC abides by its side of the agreement. But the stock market wants a trade deal at any cost. So Trump's word weighed very heavily on the averages. Probably will again tomorrow. Then Jay Powell came out at 2 p.m. He won't be out again tomorrow, though, and told us that interest rates would remain on hold, which allowed the averages to rebound. On any other day, this would have produced a spectacular rally. But today, it only gave us temporary bounce, which quickly got repealed by Chinese worries. And again, as will be the case tomorrow. Today, though, the two stories canceled each other out. Trump's making these hardline comments because he believes he has the upper hand in negotiations with China. More important. He obviously doesn't trust the Chinese government. This should come as no surprise to anyone. So it makes sense that he'd want to keep the tariffs to make sure China plays ball. Why take them off and then put them back on again? Just keep them on. Trump's riffing on Reagan's trust but verified playbook. Except this time it's more like distrust but verified. That's why he's talking about leaving the current tariffs on Chinese goods in place, even after we come to an understanding with the PRC. If you want to understand what the president's doing here, I'm sorry, got to give you a little history lesson. Call context. When Ronald Reagan was negotiating a strategic arms reduction treaty with the Soviet Union way back in the 1980s, he repeated over and over again that while he trusted the Russians, there'd be no deal unless they submitted to an extensive verification process to ensure they were actually complying. Trust but verify became the watchword. 
Now we're at a crossroads in our trade negotiations with China. And Trump's made it crystal clear that he doesn't trust the Chinese government to abide by the terms of any deal they agree to. The Communist Party has a long history of not really honoring their trade pacts. If anything, I think Trump trusts Xi, Xi Jinping even less than Reagan trust, trusted Gorbachev. Yet he just doesn't trust Xi. And if he doesn't trust Xi, then you know, I've got to tell you, it's going to be a little bit while before we get what we want, if you're bullish. The president believes that China desperately wants a deal, but he also recognizes that the record of compliance is not so high. The thing is, there's a lot more to the story than trade, even though that's all the media tends to talk about. China ignored a 2016 ruling by the Tribunal of the Permanent Court of Arbitration, a.k.a. The Hague, that said the Chinese have no historical title in the waters of the South China Sea. The Obama administration relied on China to obey The Hague. That trust was misplaced as the Chinese Navy moved aggressively into the area. Back in 2016, President Xi told uh, Obama that he had no intention of militarizing the South China Sea. He said it to his face in the White House. Then he went ahead and did exactly that, installing surface-to-air missiles in areas that are also claimed by Taiwan, the Philippines, Vietnam, and Malaysia. Honestly, I don't blame him for being deceptive. That's what governments do. But I do blame our leaders for lying to themselves by pretending that America's biggest rival would ever deal with us in good faith. After the Chinese started claiming those islands in the South China Sea, our former Defense Secretary General James Mattis accused them of intimidation and coercion. But China didn't care. They got what they want. So the hardline trade negotiators right now in the Trump White House have said over and over and over again they don't want to be taken for a ride by China, like the Obama administration, the Bush administration, and the Clinton administration were. The hardliners have the upper hand, people, especially after today's statement from the Federal Reserve that inflation is negligible and the economy is fine, not too hot, not too cold. If the tariffs were really hurting commerce in this country, it would be a different story. But they're just not having that much of a negative impact, empirically. Now, the problem here is that the stock market is eager for a trade deal. Wall Street wants everything back to normal, even if normal wasn't that great for us. Without one, it's a lot harder to own a whole host of international industrial stocks, as I've said to you many times. And I think we are a long way from a big deal because our two governments are totally across purposes here. The Chinese are talking about buying more soybeans. Trump's talking about preventing the theft of American intellectual property. The Chinese are musing openly about whether or not they want to buy more Boeing planes. Trump's demanding the closure of Chinese state-sponsored entities that regularly dump their goods over here at below market prices, putting American competitors out of business. The Chinese are trying to assuage the president by purchasing semiconductors from us. But Trump wants China to scale back its geopolitical ambitions by backing away from the One Belt, One Road, and Made in China 2025 initiatives, which threaten our hegemony. Yep, it's not about the trade gap, people. It's it's about the trust gap. I grow weary from all these different leaks. I'm not doing, I'm not playing that game. I'm telling you what's happening, okay? Until investors realize that's what's driving these negotiations, we'll forever be playing this game of deal or no deal. And the market will get it hammered every time people realize that we're a long way from reaching a big kind of deal with any kind of accommodation with China. Maybe a small deal, but nothing big. I'm not saying, again, that a deal's impossible. I think we're going to get a deal. But you have to understand the Chinese government won't even acknowledge that they're doing many of the things that Trump wants them to stop doing. And Trump, for his part, isn't in a hurry. He sees American companies fleeing China and get ahead of the tariff increases. He's uh, probably ignoring what Fred Smith, the CEO of FedEx, said last night on our show, that China's too big of an economy for our businesses to leave quickly, and it will remain a gigantic force in world trade. I think Trump fears being had more than he fears the prospect of leaving these tariffs on forever. So the bottom line? Don't jump the gun. It's terrific to have the Fed on our side here. But the trade war with China remains on the side of the bears for now, which is why today's session ultimately didn't go the bull's way, even though we had the perhaps most important statement that we're going to get from the Fed since Jay Powell 
became chairman. Ted in Arizona. Ted! Jim, thank you for taking my call and for all you do for us investors. Sure try, and thank you. Uh, Disney, despite increased revenues, increased dividends, reduced share count, a strong balance sheet, reasonable valuation, another blockbuster movie, plus the Fox acquisition, Disney still has not gotten back to its high of four years ago. What is wrong? Okay, what's wrong here is that people feel that at a very big analyst meeting coming up in April, Bob Iger is going to have to uh, lower earnings per share in uh, forecast because he needs to invest more. And when you hear the word invest, that's a negative for Wall Street. I think it's a positive for Main Street. And you buy it with this travel trust owns a nice position. We want to be bigger in it, but not until they guide down, if they do guide down. Can we go to Alan in Florida, please? Alan. Well, Jimmy, let me be the first to wish you a big blowout booyah to you. Well, there you go. I've always wanted that. Thank you. What's going on? You're very welcome. Hey, I want to talk a little streaming TV with you. It seems like every hour on CNBC, I hear another big company talk about their streaming strategy. There's more content coming there every single day. And Roku seems to be the leader in the space. I think they have about 27 million active users. They're growing at 40% a year. And what do you think, Jimmy? Are they the I real can't deal fight or? the tape with Roku. I decided, uh, I was correct in telling people to avoid it for a while, and then I did not tell people to get back in it, and then I started liking it again. I don't feel I've been consistent enough on Roku to be able to really be valuable. Uh, you never want to say that. You never want to admit it. But you know what? I've been doing this show for 14 years. I'm going to admit it when I haven't gotten it right. It just doesn't help anybody to say that I've gotten it right when I haven't. Greg in Pennsylvania. Greg. Yeah, hey, Jim, how you doing? I'm First doing well. How about you? Um, I, my question is for um, a nice stock that you like is uh, Freeport McMoran. I bought it at $10 and some change in December. Okay. And um, I was wondering if um, I should hold on to it and uh, go through this well, trade it, it, This so, is a trade deal stock. If you get a trade deal, the stock goes to 15. If you don't get a trade deal, it probably goes back to 10. I don't like that kind of company. I like companies that I think will do well either way. Maybe take a look at Nike. Big, big in China. Stock's going down. I think it reports a good quarter. Mike, that's the smallest business. Mike in Massachusetts. Mike, Mike, Mike. Booyah from the city of champions, Boston, Massachusetts. How are you doing, Kramer? Well, uh, city of runner-ups is fine. What's up? <laughs> uh, I just wanted to ask you a quick question. So after my dog was diagnosed with meningitis, I ended up dropping a few grand on his treatment and decided to buy into IDXX. Um, unfortunately, it was about six months ago and the stock's down about 15%. Right. I saw it endorsed on your show uh, quite a few times and I was wondering about your... Oh, no, stick with it. I mean, it's come back this year. It's up 18%. The humanization of pets is a good long-term story as any I have. Uh, the stock did go up too high. got a little caught up. And now it's working its way back. I think IDEX is terrific. And I think that uh, Jonathan Ayers does a fantastic job as CEO. All right. Listen, don't jump. The gun! The Fed's on the side of the bulls, but trade's not yet on that same side. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Pet IQ was in the doghouse last week after missing earnings estimates. But could its bark be worse than its bite? I'm sitting down with the CEO to see how the humanization of Pet's trend could help it move higher. Then, smell that? It's Musk. Mm. I'll tell you what Elon's battle with the SEC means for shareholders. And 400,000 American women develop postpartum depression each year. There's some people who commit suicide because I'm talking to the CEO of Sage Therapeutics to find out how its latest therapy hopes to help. Stay with Kramer. 
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. Whenever the market gets volatile, like it was today, I like to fall back on our favorite secular growth stories, something like long-term themes that don't become a, they don't need a booming global economy to make you money. Themes like the humanization of pets, the idea that Americans are spending fortunes to take care of our companion animals because we increasingly treat them like members of the family. And family members get decent health care, which is why the veterinary stocks have been roaring. Kramer Fave, IDEX up 18%, so Wedex up more than 15%. Tonight I want to circle back to a newer play on the humanization of pets. I'm talking about Pet IQ. The rapidly growing provider of veterinary products, uh, including everything from over-the-counter flea and tick preventative to prescription drugs to health and wellness products for cats and dogs. Plus, Pet IQ has its own veterinary clinics. Long term, they think that they can open a thousand of them across the country. Last week, the company reported some excellent results with 114% sales growth. Management issued solid guidance for the full year. Now, the quarter wasn't necessarily perfect. The, the, the company reiterated its bullish long-term plans, though. And with the stock below $30, down $14 from its all-time highs, thanks to a real mulling in the fourth quarter bear market, I think it might be getting not enough credit for what it's doing. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Cord Christensen, the chairman and CEO of Pet IQ, learn more about how his company's doing where it's headed. Mr. Christensen, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Cord. Have a hey, seat. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. First of all, you have just spectacular growth, and I think one of the things is, is that everybody who has a pet, you have a pet, I have a pet, know that it is that having a pet is expensive, but we're not going to spare any money on our pets. So talk about the soup to nuts offering that you have for my pet. Great, Jim. We appreciate you asking. Of course. We are focused on providing low-cost, convenient access to health care for pets. And we do that by partnering with major retailers across the country. And the biggest thing we are is we're incredibly transparent about our price model so that anybody can feel comfortable going to the veterinarian knowing they can pr- afford to provide health care for their pets. And then obviously when you provide more convenient access and it's more cost-effective, we just continue to, to gain ground on retaining and getting consumers into the space and ultimately providing the most incremental growth to the category. Okay, so what is the strategy follow the pet? And what does it mean for people who are thinking about owning the stock? Yeah, so follow pets is really straightforward. Our, our customers that we do business with provide 86% of the calories that pets consume, yet provide almost none of the health care for those animals. And so Pet IQ was purpose built from the very beginning to become one of the largest providers of cost effective. Um, pet health care. Right. And so ultimately, we're building clinics and we're providing access to animal health products and services in the locations where people already provide everything their pets needs. And so now when you go there, you get to provide your, your food and calories, but you also get to provide health care for your pet. Okay, so uh, as we uh, pets go from the basement uh, to the bedroom to the bed, why do we need Pet IQ? Well, I think we need Pet IQ because... Fifty percent of pets in this country don't get any health care, but yet with the fifty, fifty percent of pets aren't getting great. Whether it's convenience or cost, those are the two main reasons that are addressed. 
we provide a great opportunity to educate people. And really, when you look at it, the pet humanization trend is alive and well. Right. And so as we continue to provide access and education, we just think we can continue to close that gap and ultimately end up with healthier pets that live a lot longer, that provide you that joy that you're looking for and why you're really making that pet a member of your family. Uh, I like you have quality product food. And I want you to talk about that because I think that people no longer just want to give their pets regular dog food. Right. Well, we are partnered with all the major manufacturers in the country that provide prescription diet, and that is one of the offerings we have in our, in our offering. As a company, we don't make food. We, we provide access to the right. prescription diets, right. but everything that we do in our company is focused on providing the same items that were found at the veterinarian before there was Pet IQ and oh. making those available through major retail. So everything we do is high quality. Okay, how about your pop-up clinic strategy? Well, our pop-up clinic strategy is we have 3,400 retailers in the country that we bring a veterinarian, a couple technicians, and we run a clinic for a day at a time. Last year, we ran over 74,000 clinics. I actually believe last time we were here, we talked about the fact that you treat your pets at one of our tractor supply locations. Absolutely. Great doctor. I told you. (laughs) It's Dr. Christensen. Not no relation to me, but we'll take it. No relation to you. I know you're around West. Uh, What do you guys do? Uh, Look, we all love our pets, but we also know that there are unfortunate pets. We know that uh, there are pets where we got our, our mutts from a, a kill center. What are you guys doing beyond that? Because I know you're a pet lover. Yeah, we do a lot of things to try and give back as a company. We think that's really important. Uh, we partner with a lot of those very, very um, specific clinics to provide access to the products so they stay healthier until mm-hmm. they, they can be adopted. Uh, one of the areas that are near and dear to my heart is to partner with service dog organizations. And we really focus on those injured, injured veterans that are out there that the suicide rates are incredibly high. And it's amazing when you add a pet to their life that provides them companionship and service, that rate of suicide drops by almost 90%. It's not so 90%? It's a huge number. Why don't more people know this? Well, they should. There's some great organizations out there. If you go to our website, you can see those organizations that we support. Um, they're making tons of ground, but there's always room for more. And, and we really think that that veteran program is something that if people understood how much value it provides, it's a place where we'd focus our money, and we definitely are going to continue to invest there. One last question. If you were to put up all the clinics that you think you could, would you not have a multi-year growth path? Because that's a lot that you want to do. Yeah. So we've, we have a stated objective to open 1,000 wellness clinics over the next five years. As a company, when we acquired VIP Pet Care last year, we acquired a company that has 36 regional offices, right. fully staffed to hire, train, and operate clinics within 10 miles of 90% of the U.S. population. Our offices need to open just a little more than five clinics a year to be over a thousand clinics in the next five years, which is something we are more than up for the task to go accomplish. Well, that's why I think this is just a terrific growth stock and has very little economic sensitivity because we love our pets so much. Thank you to Corey Christensen, Chairman and CEO of Pet IQ. Thank you for the service dog uh, initiative that you're doing and saving so many veterans. Yeah, thank Good you so much. Stay okay. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one-size-fits-all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. Okay, on a not-so-hot session for the averages, I was amazed to see Tesla stock rally up more than 2% today. I, I, I can't be thinking, what the, what, what the heck do these buyers think? 
Aren't they paying attention to this big contempt of court fight between Elon Musk and the SEC? On Monday night, the SEC filed a stunning right post in the federal court of Judge Allison Nathan, distinguished jurist, Southern District of New York. And after reading the brief, I have to say, unless you relish the idea of Tesla without Musk at the helm, I don't know why you would want to buy stock here. Remember, a few months ago, Musk reached a settlement with the SEC over his allegedly fraudulent tweets. Tesla agreed to impose some safeguards to prevent him from discussing material aspects of the business on Twitter going forward. But according to the SEC, that process turned out to be a total sham. Musk was supposed to get Tesla approval before he tweeted anything about the company. But this deal has been in place for months, and he hasn't sought pre-approval for a single tweet. Now Musk is claiming that the SEC is violating his First Amendment rights, the most absurd argument I've ever heard. He waived those rights when he made the agreement with the SEC. It's in plain sight. Guy just can't help himself. A cursory read through the SEC's brief shows that Musk tried to puff up his stock on February 19th, tweeting that Tesla made zero cars in 2011, but will make around 500,000 cars in 2019. Then he met with his lawyers and issued a correction that very same night, tweeting that he meant to say that they'd be an annualized run rate of 500,000 cars by the end of the year, but for 2019, they only produced 400,000 cars. Oh, all right, that's a huge difference. Look, 400,000 cars is amazing. That's not the point, Okay. It, it, the point is, you, you, you can't do this stuff. Musk lawyers claim their client has a right to determine what tweets are immaterial to Tesla stock. And even if it turns out to be wrong, okay, even if it turns out to be wrong, he can just correct the record later, like he did with those production numbers. Now, I'm pretty sure that's the opposite of what the SEC and Judge Nathan meant when they agreed to this pre-approval process. The opposite. And that's why I think Elon Musk is in real trouble here. If the SEC's allegations are true, then he's basically spitting in the justice system's face. Musk thinks he's fighting the SEC. Ah, uh-uh. with this contempt citation, he's now fighting Judge Nathan. And I don't see her putting up with this nonsense anymore. She can't just let him violate a court order and get away with it. The whole system would unravel for heaven's sake. The SEC is basically telling uh, Judge Nathan that Elon Musk represents a material threat to the settlement process that she's overseeing. Musk is now her problem. As I see it, Judge Nathan is boxed in. Her court-ordered process to protect the public from Musk tweets meant absolutely nothing to Musk, as the process was never implemented. Same thing with the company. I mean, for the company either. She already fined him $20 million. He barely noticed. She can't trust the attorneys involved to rein him in because the process was never invoked. They could be in big trouble themselves for not enforcing anything that the company promised it would do. She can't trust Tesla's board to do anything because they seem to be asleep at the self-driving wheel. That means Judge Nathan can only trust herself. Three choices. Well, only three choices because Elon Musk just won't stop firing off these tweets that are tantamount to securities fraud. She can remove Musk from the CEO job. He can't mislead investors about Tesla if he's no longer speaking for Tesla. That may be necessary because Musk obviously can't control himself. Second, she can make the violation criminal and actually sentence him to prison. That's a hard call. But to be honest, Musk is practically begging her to throw the book at him. Or third, she can install a special master on Tesla's board of directors to control him. I can't see any other way out of this because Musk's attack on the judiciary, the judiciary, not the SEC, the judiciary is so egregious. And I got to tell you, unless you think Tesla will do better with Musk going, none of these options are that great for shareholders. Which brings me to the heart of the question. If you own Tesla, do you want Elon Musk to keep running the show? Would you buy the stock even if he gets removed? That's the real issue here. At this stage, I think a special master would be a big win for shareholders. Everything else, a loss. However, it's not just Judge Nathan's job to protect Tesla's stock. It's her job to protect the justice system. So unless she wants to make a mockery of her own bench, Elon Musk will soon be looking for a new job. It is a shame. I think the guy is a genius, a genius and a huge success in a business with little growth. But I just don't think he can weasel his way out of this one. Let's go to Joe in Arizona. Joe! 
Hello, Jim. This is Joe with a big booyah from Sun City, West Arizona. Spirit long- booyah. Spirit booyah. Okay. Hey. I'm a long-time listener and a oh, first-time caller. Thank you. And by the way, I'm originally from upstate New York, a little place called Athens, but I've retired out here. Okay. Sun City. Anyway, I thank you for your advice to us individuals. Thank You've, you. You've uh, helped me a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Uh, being retired, I'm, in, okay. I'm invested in 80% index funds per year recommendation. All right. I like that. We've got to have some individual uh, stocks, too. Okay. Yeah, and uh, the other 20%, uh, the remainder of those is, are in individual stocks. Excellent ratio. And um, listen, yeah, this is the first time in three years that Caterpillar has missed their earnings estimates, but only by about 1%. Right. And when they've done that in the past, they've gone higher after that. And, uh, well, here's, here's the thing with okay. the new... China deal on the threshold and a good time to buy. Is this a good time to uh, buy? Let's wait a little bit. Jim Ogilvy's doing a fantastic job, but I think the president's going to dig in his heels for a little bit here. And there's going to be some people who just downgrade it reflexively, 2.5% yield, uh, big cash flow. Let's just wait a little bit. Maybe we catch a little bit lower, and then I think you're going to be right to buy. Elon Musk is in real trouble here. Ask yourself, would you want the stock if he gets removed? Quizzical. What's where we have money at? The FDA just approved the first drug for postpartum depression. I'm talking to the manufacturer of the innovative new therapy. Don't miss my sit-down with Sage Therapeutics. Then, how two companies are helping you make money while you spend money? And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. Here's a great story. Last night, Sage Therapeutics, a biopharma company that's focused on treating central nervous system disorders, which are very hard to treat, got FDA approval for the first drug, a postpartum depression injection that we market as Zoreso. The stock barely budged in response. In fact, it pulled back a few bucks because, well, the drug was considered a such a sure thing because the data was so great. Sage released some incredibly positive clinical trial data in January, which catapulted the stock price up 42% in a single day. And the darn thing kept running over the next few uh, four weeks. Now that we know Zoreso will be commercially available sometime this summer, I think it changes the equation here. Postpartum depression is a terrible condition. Sage's drug is expected to instantly become the standard of care here. I can't tell you how special this is because it's so much faster acting than other antidepressants. Plus, the company has an intriguing pipeline. They're also working on treatments for major depression. Talk about another tr- tough thing to treat. Parkinson's, sleep disorders. I bet the stock has more of them to run. Let's take a closer look with Jeff Jonas. He's the CEO of Sage Therapeutics. Hear more about the drug and what it means for the future of his company. Dr. Jonas, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Jeff. Have a seat. Thanks for having First of all, me congratulations. When I see somebody who's really changed many people's lives, I got to congratulate him. And this is really a terrific story. Tell people what there was before and what there could be now for a disease that a lot of people know is, you know, can I say, it's been around forever and it's never been treated. Well, firstly, thanks again for having of course, me. Of course. And I think the first takeaway from this is postpartum depression is the most common medical complication of pregnancy. And the leading cause of death in, after pregnancy is suicide. And if you think okay. about the standard of care today, mm-hmm. you're talking about standard antidepressants, which can take weeks to work, right. or psychotherapy. And despite the, that fact, there has never been an approved therapy specifically for postpartum depression, which is what well, Zoreso is targeted at. Now, let's go over this notion of suicide, because since I've met you, you're one of the few doctors who's willing to talk about it. It is a taboo. 
It is a wrong taboo because what happens is people who feel, who ideate suicide, feel like they're alone. You obviously knew that this was a problem. You were willing to address it. And you can cut down the number of people who actually kill themselves. Well, the tragedy of all mental health is that it's often treated like a second-class disease. Okay. Right? Right. You know, these are life-threatening conditions. It's the leading, depression is the leading cause of morbidity in the first world in the workplace. So when we thought about this, we thought about this, we said, is there a way that we can rapidly correct the symptoms of mm-hmm. postpartum, get women better if they need support, then they're in a, their mind is in a place to get that support. So what we did was we developed Zilreso, and what we saw was you saw a response, as you said, right. within hours, within yeah, hours. That's amazing. Now, one of the things that I, you know, somebody was saying to me, but Jim, it's a 60-hour drip. Mm-hmm. Who's going to do that? I think that actually is a very short time <laughs> to take care of a longer-term problem. Well, that, that's exactly right. If you think about this as a medical problem, right, the leading yes. medical complication, yes. if someone has a gallstone or someone has a seizure, you're not thinking twice about getting help. And, you know, we speak to a lot of these women. I've had the privilege of speaking to these women, and they all say the same thing. We would rather get better quickly it's not an inconvenience, right. then suffer in silence. Okay, so $34,000. Again, I want this stuff put in context. There'll be people who say, who is this guy, Jeff, that you like so much? He's charging 34000 To the system, what do these people call it cost? Well, if you think about you what... Want to look at, neither you or I look at it like that, but I need yeah. you to address this. Well, one of the things you think about is postpartum depression doesn't just affect the mother. It's a multi-generational disease. It affects the child, the spouse, the family. It keeps people from work. So, it, we, and we've spent a lot of time looking at the pricing. Okay. We've sp- spoken to payers. And when you think about what we potentially are offering, rapid response, one-time therapy, getting women back home, you know, we don't hear any resistance to that. And in fact, there's a lot of enthusiasm in order for these women not to suffer in silence, but to get better. But going back to work if they want to. And go back to work, take care of the child. Be, you know, be part of society. Now, you're on... You're going after major depressive MDD. Now, we know J&J just had this bravado, which is good. By the way, they just, they, uh, the VA just approved it, which is what I think most of us recognize as a big issue. Again, because you cannot, the taboo of suicide, if you can stop it. Where, how does this work versus, say, the way bravado works? Well, firstly, you know, as a physician, I think the, the, the renaissance of treatment for depression is better for patients. It's a great thing to have more innovation. Um, it's important to remember, as ketamine is targeted towards a different population, treatment-resistant right. depression. Absolutely. So it doesn't really affect us in that regard, but it does change the treatment model, getting people to think that there are new options and new opportunities to treat these women and treat these patients. Now, how do we get the word out? How do people know? I mean, will doctors know? Again, you're dealing with a community that didn't think there was anything for this and may not think that a 60-hour drip is the right thing. Uh, you know, again, I view this as a medical issue. These are women okay. who are suffering in silence. Right. And, you know, we have to change the dialogue. We have to challenge 100 years of conventional wisdom. Get rid of stigma. And if you can get people better by saying we're correcting a chemical imbalance, right. that goes a long way to saying it's not your fault. There's something we can do for you. Okay, I want people to know how important this is. Put me back, say, four or five years. Mm-hmm. People thought you thought about doing this. Did anyone think that you could solve this? Um, when we started, no one believed it. No one. No one believed it. And I think this is, a, this is one of the challenges and the opportunities. How do you change the dialogue? How do you tell people depression? postpartum depression, life-threatening disorder, something you should treat, don't suffer in silence, and you, you have a right to get better as quickly as possible. All right. Well, next question. Will we miss uh, Gottlieb as the head of the FDA? You know, we've had a good relationship with the FDA. They're professionals. Um, you know, if you think about people like Gottlieb and the FDA, they're like football coaches. They've seen it all. 
And so, we, 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 you know, I think they'll find a great replacement, but he's been a good asset. All right, terrific. I, once again, congratulations to Dr. Jeff Jonas, the CEO of Sage Therapeutics, and to all the people out there whose lives will be safe, will be safe by this drug. Man, buddy's back in. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skiing. Got it. Over the lightning round. I'm going to start with Kanad in Ohio. Kanad. All right, Kramer. Can't believe I'm talking to the greatest of all time. Booyah. Oh, man. I'm not the GOAT. We got the GOAT. He's Muhammad Ali. What's happening? Couldn't talk to him, but I could talk to you, right? All right. This is a high tech cloud growth infrastructure stock up $40 since December 24th. But it has a negative P&E and negative EPS. I have no idea what to do here. None. It's Splunk. Bye, bye, bye. I love Splunk. Splunk's one of my uh, cloud kicks. I mean, they're doing a fantastic job. Doug Merritt is dynamite. This is the way you'd be able to have a great cloud strategy. You need them to be able to mine the cloud data. I need to go to Steven in California. Steven. A big booyah. Okay. Sunny. Sunny over in California. How are you, Jim? I'm good. How about you? Thanks for asking. Good. Good. Jim, I, I, I got I to gotta hand it to you. Mr. Chuck Robbins came in on February 14th. The next day, I bought that stock at 47.35, And gosh, I've been taking a nice wave. So is the wave going to last? Oh my God! Chuck's great. I mean, Chuck's going to outlast UNC, who I said is going to lose in the third game. I think you went to a second. I think Cisco's terrific. I think that the price of DRAMs is falling. We uh, listened to Micron tonight. They're trying to hold the line on prices, but most importantly, it's going to become a software-defined network play with with security. It's no longer just hardware. Even up here. Okay, let's go to Mike in New York. Mike. Hi, Jim. First, Mike. I want to thank you for all I've learned watching your show through the years. Well done. Thank you. Come to the floor of the exchange. Got some nice pictures today with people. I think the next bubble will be the 5G sector. So I would like to know if you would recommend the stock Nokia. No, you know, look, it was a nice downgrade today. I mean, nice downgrade. It's not nice if you own it. I just think that Nokia is okay. Okay, Ericsson is okay. Uh, 5G play is Xilinx, which is why I had to rename Bob Marley Xilinx. Because that dog has game. Let's go to Greg in Arkansas. Greg. Good afternoon, Jim Kramer. And uh, big Arkansas Razorback booyah to you, sir. All right. Always welcome. Always welcome. Uh, Jim, I'd like your professional opinion on Seabridge Gold, please. S-A. We are Barrack fans, okay? We are Barrack fans because we like Bristow. We think he's got total game. Remember, Barrack's symbol has changed. It's now Rangold symbol. G-O-L-D. And I think that Bristow is dynamite. Let's go to Tyreek in New York. Tyreek. Hey, how you doing, Jim? I am good. How about you? Big booyah to you, my brother. Thank you. I just had a, I had a question about Ring Central. Um, I have a, uh, I have a, some stocks in there, and I like the growth, but I'm trying to make sure we that like I'm the in the guys right. We Ring Central. We hung out with them. They're really smart. It's a great team. We recommended the stock after we met them and paddled around with them and realized how smart they were. Did a lot of work on it. I think Ring Central is a good stock. I need to go to Michael, Massachusetts, please. Michael. Booyah, Jim. Michael here. Let me oh, ask you a thoughts on Broadreach. 
Broadridge, uh, uh, last quarter not so great. Rich Daly doing a good job. I mean, it helps him during proxy season. It tends to go up, but I have not pushed it hard here because I don't have a catalyst. Let's go to Alex in California. Alex. Booyah, Dr. Kramer. Serious. Uh, I wanted, Jim, I wanted to give a quick shout out to all the Iranians in the world and say Happy New Year to them. There you go. Tell the truth. Uh, my question. All right. My question is about uh, Occidental Petroleum. It gives I, thought, I saw Vicky interviewed by Brian Sullivan, and I think she's doing a good job. She has tremendous assets in the Permian. The problem is I don't like the fossil fuel stocks, and I am not trying to recommend or get anyone in a fossil fuel stock because they're not that good. Let's speak to John in Florida, please. John. Hey, what's happening, Mr. Kramer? I don't know. I got to hang out with the wife tonight. Supposed to work. How are you? Hey, uh, Plug Power. Uh, they the the. Uh... Oh man, Plug Power. That thing's been around the block so many times. You know, it, it's it, it it has always been more hype and hope than been reality. We're not going there. I need to go to Richard in Iowa. Richard. Richard. Yes, Mr. Kramer. First time caller. Booyah to you. Booyah back. <laughs> I'm calling. I'm calling about Kraft Heinz. I bought it a year ago, just about a year ago, at fifty-eight dollars, and I'm thinking about putting some dollar-cost averaging. Thinking uh, about full shares. What do you think of that? I am not a fan of Kraft Heinz, and I got to tell you, a lot of people felt they could own that and be protected by that uh, dividend, and then they cut the dividend. So as far as I'm concerned. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. At a time when the financial technology stocks have been on fire, you better believe it caught my attention when Green Dot, the digital payments company, told us last week that they're teaming up with Stash. That's a privately held company that operates the low-cost, easy-to-use micro-investment app of the same name. Basically, Stash makes it simple for people to invest very small sums of money in a range of stocks, of course, and ETFs, including setting up automated investments so you don't even need to think about putting money aside. You know I love this kind of thing. The result of Green Dot's partnership with these guys is the new Stock Back feature, a rewards program that invests for customers as they spend money. Your typical rewards program is designed to make people uh, spend more money. This one's different. Stockback is designed to make you save more money. It's like a reverse rewards program. I think it's an intriguing concept. So let's take a closer look with Steve Street. He's the founder and CEO of Green Dot and Brandon Krieg. He's the co-founder and CEO of Stash. Learn more about this process. Mr. Street, Mr. Krieg, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, the show's about 14 years. We're about democratization. I feel too few people own stock. I'm not against CTS, but the idea of getting people involved, particularly younger people involved, is something that I am passionate about. So I go to Chipotle. What can happen? You take your stash debit card, you put it in the machine, you pay, and immediately you get stock. It's that simple. So it's automatic, and it happens behind the scenes. Okay, so it's a $600 stock. What do I get, a sliver? You get a little small amount, but you get it every single time you go back. So the point is to make investing automatic as you live your life, right? Right. So go to McDonald's, get McDonald's. Go to your local deli. That's where you get a diversified stash ETF. Okay. But now, you get it every time. Okay, so what's your relationship with him? And uh, is this something that's electronic? I mean, I know you're familiar with PayPal. Can I use PayPal or is it really a credit card? Well, so Green Dot is a technology-centric bank holding company. Right. So we're a bank. 
We're also a Silicon Valley, a Valley tech firm that's kind of married on top of this platform. Okay. And we have a lot of different products and business lines, as you know. But one of them is called BAS, or Banking as a Service. And it's right. a collection of APIs. Which is like software as a service, SaaS. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. BAS and SaaS. <laughs> right. And uh, same kind of concept. And any qualified partner can come in and use our collection of APIs to create their own customized bank account to do whatever it is, or, or rewards debit card, okay. any banking product, payment card, whatever it is, to do what they want to do to make their, co- their company work better and to bond loyalty with their customers. And so it's only limited by the creativity of whoever's using the platform. And that's right. the cool thing about Bass. It's like owning a bank, except we're the bank, your creativity, our technology, our bank, and their <clears throat> creativity. And Stash is a very creative partner. Okay, so some of it's uh, pop, uh, Dunkin' Donuts, uh, Spotify, Netflix, they seem to be incredibly involved in this. Uh, why? They just love the idea? They're, they're much more involved than others, right? So they're actually not involved directly. Those are okay. bonuses that we chose so, at Stash. Okay, so that was you guys who chose. Them. Yes. Okay, yeah. so in other words, you are, are reflecting upon what you think people would like. Yeah, um, and we changed them. I mean, right now, these are the ones we chose. And like, we wanted to fuel the caffeine uh, Right. Uh, behavior Praise, of our customers, yeah. yeah. And but so, does, I mean, does Reed Hastings know? I mean, do you uh, tell him? I don't know. Maybe he'll he know, know now. now. Yeah. Well, I, the reason <laughs> I say that is yeah. because I feel companies are oblivious. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you a good example. We've got these companies because the big institutions say, listen, we don't want to pay, too, we have to pay money per share, so let's keep the stock up as high as possible so that we have to pay less uh, because they don't split their stocks anymore. Yeah. That has been maybe the worst single thing for the individual investor. I know if I break this pen, you know, I only have, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't create more value. Yeah, but right. isn't it true that we have lost a generation because everybody, no one wants, no one thinks you can ever buy one share. It's not enough. At least this way, the stock split, yeah. ridiculous that they refuse to do it, can be defeated. I think mean, it's more than that. I mean, to, to, not to uh, uh, over to Stash's horn. It's more than just the price of a stock. It's people are not financially literate. No, I know. And, and, yeah. and so Stash, yeah. We're losing. Think, uh, you know that. Yeah, not to brag your, yeah. about your thing, yeah. but tell them, tell them about it. Yeah, that. so look, 80% of people in America live paycheck to paycheck, right? So unfortunately, a price of stock right now is just something that people can't do. Right. So when, you, you know, when you're looking at the market or watching the show, people will feel bad about themselves. So we started Stash three years ago. We now have over 3 million customers who have signed up in a very short That's period great. of time to say, I want to be an investor. But why aren't they brainwashing and thinking that if they actually own an individual stock, it's dangerous, there's single stock risk, and they should just own a big basket of good and bad stocks? Well, it's my job. as an, We're an SEC-registered investment advisor, right. so we're there to give them advice. So if you buy a big basket of stocks, we're going to be there to help you get diversified. So, okay. And it's more than that. It's also about financial education. Because you can't expect someone to start buying stocks or start doing something that, unfortunately, a lot of people aren't comfortable with without teaching them. So not only are you using stock back to get stocks where you spend your money, okay. but also you're learning about the companies. And you're learning about all these really, unfortunately, lost concepts that people stopped learning. I know. Now, uh, do yeah. I get a statement which shows that I own one sixtieth of a share of, uh, of Chipotle? Does it look like that? You do. Yeah. We, we fractionalize investing. So with our clearing firm, Apex, we are, you are buying real shares in the market. It's very similar to like what a drip is, right? So you're right. getting fractions right. of stock. And the, the theme is to do it on a regular basis. So we, we teach the habit. So don't right. just buy it once, but either buy it on your own all the time or make it automatic. And see through, it grow over time. And, and, and yeah. see it where are the dividends stash, so to speak? If you, when you get dividends, they stay at the bank? What? Yeah, any, any, any monetization goes into the stash account, which is an yeah. FDIC insured bank account. That's where Green Dot comes in. And then our technology runs the back end. So we're, we're the bank behind the scenes and the technology behind the scenes. Right. And Stash is in the front. Yep. And, and we're in the back. Well, that, three million people, that means there are still people who believe in owning a piece of America. Yeah, and we're oh, adding yeah, yeah, a yeah. quarter million accounts a month right now. So well, it's growing really I'm fast. Sure, look, you, yeah. you guys know you're right up my alley. This is terrific. That's why I 
Network when I heard about it. I knew I had to have you yeah. on. Okay, I want to thank Steve Street of Green Dot and Brandon Krieg of Stash. Guys, what can I say? This is what you should give your kids, all right? Let them start going, making some money off all the money they spend that's yours. Everybody's back here to the break. Thanks thank a you, lot. Gentlemen. Thank good. you. Okay, good news for the semiconductors tonight. Micron reports a good quarter. The way they reported is kind of interesting, that they basically are cutting uh, production. And when you cut production, that's often how you get to a bottom. MU is a very inexpensive stock. You know I like the semiconductors here. Decent number from William Sonoma tonight. You know I think that some of the retailers are good and some of them are bad. And please don't forget, every time you hear that there's about to be a trade deal, remember there's going to be someone else who says, wait a second, there may not be a trade deal because of all the things that the Chinese have to do that they won't do. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.